Welcome to Beyond the Microphone, a podcast about podcasters and the stories of how their shows came together, grew, and what they discovered along the way. I'm your host, Adam Baru. So as we get started here today, I'd like to talk a little bit about making mistakes and this notion of chasing perfection. Um, a lot of people that I speak to that are creative types, um, whether it's about podcasting or wanting to, to launch a business or whatever, um, you know, I've... I've had people come to me and I could tell that, you know, something holding them back from actually getting started is this notion of like needing everything, all your ducks in a row, like everything kind of planned out before you execute. And that that's really tough. Um, I've just, you know, I've been an entrepreneur for a while. I've been running my main company for seven years and I probably side more with just less research and less prep and just getting into it. Now, I've 100% made many mistakes that way, but um but the point is is like I've gone for it and then I've evolved over time. And and I think that's how kind of most people kind of operate and I and it's very acceptable to kind of go that route. Now, if you're the type of person where yeah, you you like want to do a ton of research and kind of have a lot planned out from a detailed perspective, but you're the type of person that still has the ability to execute, then, you know, by all means, that that strategy is probably going to, you know, work well for you. But I find that it has been a barrier with many people that um, have approached me and, you know, they've been kind of like working on a concept for years and they're just like, what do I do to get started? Right. Well, and I tell them every time, stop chasing perfection. Just go for it. You'll figure it out along the way. I mean, I, as an entrepreneur, I think the, the number one thing that you realize over time is that you can never really truly prepare for anything. I mean, what you can prepare for are things like your mindset and your ability to problem solve. That's where, you know, you should probably want to spend your time like preparing for some new venture um, because, you know, what you'll find in business um, and in podcasting is, you know, every the landscape is always changing. For example, the last year, AI has been all the rage, chat GPT. And so, you know, whereas you might have kind of had one way of doing it when you got started, you, you better have the ability to, to read the landscape and pivot and, you know, just evolve over time. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about that notion of, you know, being mistake free, really having all your ducks in a row before you execute, you know, the, yes, you may have like a cleaner execution, um, if you get there. So that's really the point I wanted to make. Um, just something to think about as you're, you know, people that are listening that are considering launching their podcasts. Um, I didn't have it all figured out, um, when I got into it and I've just been learning over time and it's, seemingly worked for me. Um, and that I know it's just me, but, uh, you know, just something to think about as you get started. So with that, let's go ahead and introduce our guest here today. His name is Mark Graben, and he's the host of the podcast, My Favorite Mistake, where you'll hear CEOs, executives, entrepreneurs, and other interesting people discuss their favorite mistakes and what they learned, including how to prevent making the same, same mistakes again, or how to turn apparent mistakes into something positive. Um, my favorite mistake has a listen score of 34 and is ranked in the top 3%. So well done with that, Mark. Mm. He's also the author of the recently released book, The Mistakes That Make Us, Cultivating a Culture of Learning and Innovation. 
an engaging, inspiring, and practical book that presents an alternative approach to mistakes. Rather than punishing individuals for human error and bad decision, Graben encourages us to embrace and learn from them, fostering a culture of learning and innovation. So with that, Mark, welcome to Beyond the Microphone. Adam, hi, thanks for having me here. I'm really happy that you're here today, and I love this subject because um, as as we go forward in our discussion here today, um, I'd like to you know, hear about some of the mistakes that you've made and how they've shaped where, you know, you're at today. Cause certainly I've made, and I'm like happy to discuss, you know, some of the really key ones in my own experience that have, you know, resulted in where I'm at today. So why don't we start with, you know, how did you get inspired and interested in this work? I mean, did it all kind of stem from some big mistake and, and you kind of <laughs> decided to, uh, to really become curious about that and, and make it your life's work. Tell us a little yeah. bit about the, the early kind of, you know, how you got into this type of work and interest. Yeah. Well, so when I started the My Favorite Mistake podcast, um, first episodes were released uh, September 2020. It wasn't because of any single life-changing mistake. It was just, I think, an accumulation of countless mistakes and, and kind of a, a long building fascination with that, not just as individuals, but, you know, in a, a workplace culture. Um, now, you know, you talk about not having it all figured out when you started. Uh, I started my first podcast in the summer of 2006, okay, um, wow. a podcast kind of based on my um, kind of professional background in an area that we might call uh, lean management or it's similar, you know, the lean startup methodology is kind of mm -hmm. an offshoot of that. I started doing that interviews you know, format podcast in 2006, and we can talk about some of them, made many mistakes um, along the way. But I, I'd like to think I've learned from them and like the major mistakes haven't been repeated, knock on wood. And there's some tools though that I use that go beyond just hoping not to uh, repeat the mistakes. But uh, yeah, you know, I had an opportunity. There, there was some happenstance here. So, I mean, pandemic times, I wasn't able to travel for work. Um, I was doing what I could working from home, but, um, you know, I was looking for some other projects to just, you know, take my mind off of mm -hmm. pandemic times in Los Angeles. And so I, you know, had been doing this lean podcast long enough where maybe the same for you or a lot of the listeners, Adam, um, you, you get pitched by lots of PR folks. They have, you know, mm -hmm. somebody's got a book out and they would be on your show. Well, my podcast is very, very niche. Like I don't often find it a, a fit you know, with one of these pitched guests. I'm reaching out and finding people who have written books in this space or, or other, um, you know, other accomplishments. Um, but a PR person had reached out with the opportunity to interview Kevin Harrington, who isn't one of the most famous sharks from Shark Tank, but he was mm -hmm. on season one. Mm -hmm. And he had a book coming out and well, I, would, I thought, wow, I would really like to meet him and talk with him. Like for me, podcasting has been a great networking tool. Yeah. And I, I, I followed up with the PR <clears throat> with the PR person and said, well, huh, help me figure out a way to to say yes. I'm thinking of starting uh, a new, like broader business podcast. And I spitballed a few ideas. One would have been so generic, like the Mark Graben show where we could talk about anything business related. Um, and then I also had this idea, like, how about a podcast about mistakes? I'm a big Sheryl Crow fan and her song, My Favorite Mistake. 
which I, I think using that name as the podcast was a little bit of a mistake. But anyway, I pitched this and Kevin Harrington was um, was cool enough to be able to come on and tell an amazing favorite mistake story. And so with that, I'm like, OK, wow, that's my launch guest. Now, the question was, could I find more people? You know, everyone loves sharing their success stories, but I think. Mm-hmm. It's really cool when um, really successful people are willing to share a favorite mistake story the way Kevin did. Oh, yeah. And because it like makes it real. Um, I mean, we all make mistakes. And, yeah. uh, um, you know, one of the things I've got these books right here. I'm looking to see if I have one to, to put on the screen. I don't have, I actually have one handy right here. Um, there's this book that as mm. a business leader, I, I, I used to use it more often, but it's StrengthsFinder 2.0 mm-hmm. um, by Don Clifton. And it's not a book that you would like read. Um, it's more of kind of like a reference. But at the end of the book, mm-hmm. there's like this little quiz, uh, like a code that you go online, take this 30-minute yep. self-assessment. And it comes back and generates this report on your top five strengths. And what I think is really cool about that approach is – I think we spend a lot of time focusing more on what we're not good at and trying mm-hmm. to improve in those areas where we're, where we're not naturally gifted or naturally skilled and, and trying to improve those areas. Um, I think the notion of this book and this philosophy is, you know, rather than spending all this time on trying to fix what we're not great at, let's actually take that same amount of time and accentuate our strengths, like this kind of stay in our strength zone. Um, we'll find more success that way. So, you know, mm-hmm. why do you think as a society we, you know, look at our mistakes more? We look at what we're not good at and we try to fix those areas versus, you know, the more kind of positive approach, which is, mm. you know, the, the focus on the, the strengths and what we are good at. Yeah. That's an interesting question. I mean, I, I'm trying to frame, you know, through the podcast and now through the book, that learning from mistakes is a very positive thing. Like, it could be one of our strengths as an individual, as a leader, as a company. We are good at learning from mistakes, right? So I think the, the thing that I'm trying to help shift people away from is, like, this really negative, judgmental view of, of mistakes and, and shaming people for them yeah. or... Uh, punishing them in a workplace, um, that a mistake, if we are in an environment, like say in a workplace setting where it's psychologically safe to admit that you made a mistake, you get a constructive, helpful response from your colleagues and, and your leader, um, then, we can, then, then we're in a place where we can actually think about, well, why did this mistake happen? Was it a slip up? Was there a bad assumption? What type of mistake was it? But we can focus on understanding what happened, not who messed up, but what happened and why. And then think of what actions are we going to take in the future to prevent that mistake or something worse from happening um, in, in the future. So, I mean, I, I, I don't think you know, a focus on learning from mistakes is, is negative or, or dwelling on faults, because like you said, we all make mistakes like we have no choice about that, but we do have a choice in how we react and what we do after the mistake. Yeah. Uh, and know, so again, like, I think it's a positive. I, I think I agree with you on that. And I think, you know, I think we're entering this age where it's becoming OK, like you much to what you're saying, like 
it's normalizing the mistake. Like it's, it's normalizing, um, or just, I guess like having a culture in place in more and more companies, um, you know, when you are on like LinkedIn, you look at messages from people like Gary V, the leading with empathy, the like team first type of messaging and content. And that's, mm-hmm. that was very motivating for me when I started my first podcast, The Change. It was all about servant leadership, team first, mm-hmm. normalizing the mental health conversation in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Um, so looking at like a lot of the changes that have occurred where, yeah, I think to your point, like, more and more companies really under are understanding now the value of creating that culture that is supportive of mm-hmm. you know helping people whether it's a mistake they made just because of some technical skill set mismatch mm-hmm. or maybe they're in a they're dealing with something in their personal lives but mm-hmm. you know what do you think it is over the last i mean do you think it was pandemic inspired that really kind of fueled this movement mm-hmm. um in companies to create more I guess, empathetic um, approaches to how they're managing their team? And that's a good question. I mean, it's, it's hard to speak to, you know, those, those broader issues, but I mean, some of it could be, I mean, I think the movement is still building. Like, I, you know, is it a movement? Um, there's right. positive signs. There are some companies where this is true that, that mistakes uh, are not driven underground, you know, because the organization reacts with openness and, and you know, constructive um, reaction to it. But I mean, I think some of the benefits or some of the arguments to lead this way or to build this kind of culture come down to employee retention. You know, in the, you know, the last couple of years, you know, maybe the, uh, the so-called great resignation has subsided a little bit, but there's still um, you know, a real battle for talent. And you know, culture can really be a, a competitive strength for an organization to attract talent and then mm-hmm. let them come and thrive and, and 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 support them and make sure they're a good fit with the job and um, have them be part of that culture of, of learning from mistakes and a culture of innovation, they're gonna wanna stay. Um, and then I think when we're not pressuring people into hiding and covering up mistakes, then we can actually improve. We can provide uh, better customer service. We can be more innovative. You know, it's not just nice. We're really we're looking to drive better business results, but you know, it goes hand in hand. So that's part of the case I'm trying to make. I think through the podcast, through the book, if there are people out, there are people out there. It's not an if. There are some people out there who still think, man, you, you got to punish mistakes, or otherwise you're just you're creating a permissive environment where people are going to just make more mistakes. And I'm like, people feel bad when they make a mistake, right? So to to react with empathy. And to be supportive, I, I think it's just it's it's good business. I'm I'm, I'm hoping others you know, would get on board with that. Yeah, and I want to speak to this a little bit from my own experience too, because I am an employer. I have twenty or so employees that I manage, and um, I've definitely evolved over the seven years of running you know my main company, where like I you know probably. Through the pandemic and going into 2021, I really kind of, for myself, um, decided that I want to be a CEO that advocates for leading with empathy and, and try to do the things in my own company to support that. Um, and so, you know, this idea of repeating mistakes, like, you know, if it's somebody's first mistake, like, I always tell them, like, don't have, like, try to avoid having fear around making a mistake because, you know, sometimes those are the greatest teachers, 
Mm -hmm. um, sometimes that's where we learn the best lessons that that help us grow, like not just, you know, professionally, but personally, I, you know, I tell my kids that yeah. too. It's like, you know, you're going to make mistakes, like try, try to learn from them. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it, it just happens sometimes where you have employees and, and they do like these things come up again. And I mean, it, where's that fine line? Because at some point I think you do have to manage that, right? Like yeah. it, you want to start out probably with more of an empathetic approach, but you know, what can you recommend or what have you seen in your research um, that are, that's useful for employers and managers to how to kind of mm -hmm. navigate that kind of repeating yeah. mistake event? So, I mean, there's, there's two pieces that you need, you know, one I've already touched on, um, you know, psychological safety. People have to feel safe being able to say, I don't know, I could be wrong. I made a mistake to be able to point that out without um, fear of punishment. But the second thing that's critical, it's a different PS, problem solving, right? So we, we, I think if an organization it decides they're going to be non-punitive, okay, that's probably better because now people won't be hiding mistakes, but we don't want people to feel safe bringing up the same mistakes over and over again. So if there are repeated mistakes, I would say instead of that being you know, a sign of individual failure or weakness. I mean, well, maybe the organization needs to do a better job at problem solving um, instead of just saying, well, be be careful. You know, you probably won't do that again. You've learned your lesson, like putting things into place. Um, checklists. I use checklists with my podcasts and uh, in webinars, um, uh, different, you know, what you might call mistake proofing techniques, a concept that comes from Toyota and the lean methodology. So when you have, you know, um, effective problem solving, that's that's where we can actually, I think, do a better job of making sure the mistakes don't come back. Because really, you know, mis look, mistakes are bad. I mean, if there's a bad impact on the business or or the customer, I'm, I'm not discounting that at all. But I, I just think we need that effective problem solving that allows us to prevent, like, for example, like one time out of 750 people I've recorded, I've interviewed, uh, in different uh, podcasts, one time I forgot to hit record. You know, um, I hope I hope that never happens uh, to to you, Adam. But um, <laughs> you know, I fessed up to it. I didn't. You know, I told the guest. I don't. I don't even remember offhand who it was. I, I didn't blame whatever technical gremlins. I mean, I just you know, I forgot to hit record. Yeah. And that person was incredibly gracious and said, "Well, that's all right. Well, we'll call that a practice session." Right. But I don't want to do that to people. Right. So there's things you can do. You can have a checklist you can set if you're using uh, a recording platform where it starts recording automatically and mm -hmm. edit out whatever first part of the conversation you have. I mean, there are different things, either procedurally or technically we can use to try to prevent repeating a mistake. Do you is your work focused mainly in the professional setting or are you also do you also do a lot of work and research around in our personal lives mistakes that we make hmm. i mean it's really more i mean the podcast and and the book is more of a workplace book mm -hmm. but you know organizations are a collection of people so there are some things that are um intertwined there for sure but i mean i think there are you know, commonalities um, between, you know, software companies that I've been involved in. Um, I've done a lot of consulting in um, hospitals and healthcare environments, you know, different types of professionals. And I started my career in manufacturing. There's enough human nature and human dynamics 
that's that's similar across those organizations. But you know, I think as a leader, um, and I and I think of trying to do better uh, in this regard myself. You know, we think of like when I make a mistake, can I be kinder to myself? Mm. You know, is that part of the journey of being more empathetic and kind when others make mistakes? Um, can I react to mistakes in ways that are constructive? And um, you know, so there, there's a little bit of an individual journey. I, I've interviewed a number of psychologists um, on the podcast. Maybe I could partner up with one of them to do more of a personal focused book. But um, well, no, you brought up some. I mean, you brought up like a really, really powerful um, gold nugget of information, which which really is the way we treat ourselves, because, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I also think this is something that is relatively new or at least maybe different from like if we're going to let's just stay in the professional setting for now. Like, you know, there was this and I came up. I'm a Gen Xer, and I came up in this um, era where, yeah, there was the the culture was very punitive around mistakes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it really, you know, would get wrapped up in then belief systems that you know perhaps you're just not good at. I'm just not good at that. I'm, you know, and and then sh- feelings of shame and stuff like that come up. Mm-hmm. And right. I do think that. You know, there's more and more dialogue around how we talk to ourselves, like mm-hmm. our self-talk, um, and something that you know certainly I have dealt with almost throughout my entire career is, is a lot of negative self-talk, um, which yeah. was wrapped up in a bunch of personal stuff too. But you know, yeah. when when you can get to a point now, and there's great techniques for for kind of getting there, but you know, I think that is really um, the, the the great recipe for managing through and and kind of putting an end to where you're repeating mistakes which is something i call looping um Mm -hmm. where instead of bashing yourself and beating yourself up like perhaps getting curious about why like hmm like why did these mistakes why am i repeating this mistake like why does this keep coming up like what is it? What am I supposed to learn? Like, what's the big picture that I'm supposed to learn in this moment right. so I can truly once and for all end this cycle? Um, and when you become curious and, and stop the, the self-bashing um, mm-hmm. and get into more of like a self-nurturing mode, um, I, I find, at least I've found for myself, that's where, you know, just having that curiosity has led to a lot of big revelations about myself that probably did put an end to, to repeating a lot of these same kind yeah. of, you know, mistakes that I was looping on. Yeah. I, and, and one, when it comes to that self-talk, like one lesson, here's something I've learned from interviewing 225 plus people asking the same question and hearing their story and how they process and think through and remember a mistake and how they move from, uh, forward from it. I'd have to go back and search transcripts. Um, I'll put a number to it. I don't know. Like 25% of my guests, when they're describing their mistake, will use a word like, well, that was a dumb mistake or that was a stupid mistake. And I kind of, you know, I kind of cringe. And then that's made me more aware. Like I caught myself doing this a couple of weeks ago. Like I was trying to update one of my eBooks in the Amazon Kindle publishing platform and like my previous book I went to go upload the new version of that I had uploaded the file for my new book 
and realized like as soon as I had done it, like, <laughs> oh, I just uploaded the wrong file. And I caught myself. I'm like, oh, that was so dumb. But like, I think being more like, I, at least I was aware of it, right? I don't know. I, I probably had a habit of doing that um, in, in my life. And I, and I think that reaction, it's just, it's not helpful. That self-shaming. I'm not dumb. And I know plenty of smart people who make mistakes all the time, you know? So putting, you know, I think you know, we, we can try to prevent some mistakes, but we're going to make some, but we do, I think, have more choice or we can be more mindful of the habits around how we react to mistakes. And I think I'd be less likely to call someone else dumb, but here I was saying it to myself. No, it's the same. Yeah, no, I, yeah. Like we're, we're definitely, we try to avoid, you know, getting into that where we're calling somebody else dumb or whatever, but we do it to ourselves all the time. It, it makes no sense. And, you know, another thing I love that you just brought up is the awareness part of it, because I, I truly think that we are in an age right now where self-awareness is really itself becoming a lot more normalized. Um, you know, mindfulness is a kind of a term that's used a lot and a tool that a lot of people use to, to reach that higher level of self-awareness. But uh, I'm, I'm certainly glad that you brought that up because I do think that's really the key to to work through like what we're supposed to be learning from when we are making mistakes or what or whatever it's like okay well no like what not just technically what you know the mistake that i made like if it's a very technical thing what am i supposed to learn there but sometimes there are you know mistakes that we make that if you're self-aware enough like kind of reveal some like bigger picture things that Hmm. again like i think we I think mistakes and we're supposed to live a life where we are going to be encountering mistakes and challenges and obstacles. But, mm-hmm. you know, the point is, is not to like solve all these problems in our lives so that we can get to this point in our lives where everything is going to be smooth sailing from there. The point is to, is to reach a level where we become okay with our mistakes, but again, become mm-hmm. curious and have a level of self-awareness where, you know, we learn just on a bigger picture level, like what, what we're supposed to be learning through those mistakes. But, you know, mm-hmm. I want to shift a little bit now and kind of bring it back to your podcast. So, mm-hmm. um, something that you said earlier on, I, I wanted to make sure to ask you, um, you were talking about, uh, when you brought in, um, the, the shark tank guy, Kevin, what was his name? I don't Kevin watch Harrington. that show, so I'm not, uh, yeah, <laughs> caught up on all the names, but anyway, so you mentioned about asking people their favorite mistake story and I wanted to ask you and we'll kind of scope it to maybe your podcasting work. Do you have mm. like, can you come up with off the top of your head, like your favorite mistake story related to your podcasting work? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's lots of mistakes. And when, and as I process and think through this, I mean, like you know, the question's meant to be very open-ended and subjective. Everyone would decide on their own, whatever thought process or mental algorithm, the favorite, a favorite. You know, I'm not asking people, what's your biggest mistake? You know, I think that that's a different question altogether. But, mm-hmm. you know, a favorite question, a favorite mistake is one that's big enough that sticks with you and has some sort of lesson. So, like, in a way, I think I, I probably already told that story because I think you know, the, the, the forgetting to record mistake. Um, I think the way, and, and gosh, I need, I, I've got to figure out how I can remember exactly who that was. 
Um, it's a shame that I don't um, that I don't remember more clearly, but I, I do remember the response of them saying, it's OK, we'll do it again. So that stuck with me. And I'll tell you, uh, within the past year, when I was a guest on someone else's podcast, a pretty professional podcaster, somebody who's been doing this for a long time, um, we got to the end. The recording, the recording hadn't happened um, and they were there were it was going through Zoom. I did. I never, you know, and I didn't occur to me. Like, I, I, I never until after the fact. I never got that annoying pop up notification of like, hey, this is going to be recording. Yeah. Click OK. Now, you know, the, the, this person didn't really own up to it. They're like, oh, it was through another site. We have a, it runs through two systems. It'll be OK. Well, wouldn't you know, like about a week later, someone on their team followed up and said, like, yeah, we need we need to record that again. Right. So I'm, I'm not judging them for not being as open about it because it's embarrassing. Yeah. Right. I mean, I so, you know, I'm, I'm not judging that. But I think there was a lesson where, where me being on the other, other end of that stuck with me. Yeah. I had to be just as gracious with that person and say, and I think I use those exact words, a call back to 15, 10, 15 years earlier. That's OK. We'll call it a practice session. Happy to do it again sometime. Right. So, I mean, if I hadn't been through that on the other side, I don't know. I might have been perhaps that I might have been annoyed. Yeah. Perhaps the, <laughs> the, the initial experience um, where you made the mistake, um, you know, paved the way for how you would react to it when it happened on, you know, the other side. So, yeah, some yeah. and that happens a lot, too. Like, I think I think a lot is kind of put in front of us for us to eventually pay it forward you know and some I, I don't know i'm a big believer in kind of higher spirit type of stuff and so i do think that you know sometimes we are meant to make certain mistakes because it's not yeah. even meant for us to to have a learning lesson in that moment but it's to prepare us to help somebody else when when mm -hmm. that event happens so um yeah now on the other side to that what would you say has been the if you could re recall like the number one highlight in your podcasting experience, some some great moment that, you know, really resonated for you and validated, you know, for, you know, the work that you're doing with being an author as well as your podcasting. Like, is there a story you can yeah. share that completely, you know, validated everything that you're doing? Mm. Well, you know, there's been a lot of guests that have been excited um, to, to interview. Um, one One that comes to mind, and, and this was you know, a PR firm had reached out and had found me in my little podcast. Uh, uh, Jim McCann, who was the founder of 1-800-Flowers mm -hmm. or 1-800-Flowers.com. Uh, he's now the chairman. He's drifting you know, in, into retirement. And you know, he's somebody I recognized his, his name and voice and face. He did a lot of commercials, maybe because I'm a Gen Xer, like in the late 80s, early 90s or, or whatever. So um, I thought, great. I, mean, I always love... Um, the opportunity to interview a CEO and like the stories he told in the podcast were, were validating and, and, you know, think, well, you know, he told stories of how they have a culture within one 800 flowers of sharing mistakes people have made in a customer service context for the purpose of learning from each other yeah. and improving how they um, are, are doing their work. And, and like, even to the point, I don't, I'm not sure I would do this if I were, CEO of a company like he was uh, Jim McCann was explaining how they would have like an award ceremony and give out an award for like the best mistake and try to be a little lighthearted about it. Right. Yeah. 
But I mean, I, I think you know where where you are in, in in that balance of how much you're quote unquote celebrating. Like some of that's just a function of culture, you know. Um, but I think as long as you're not punishing the mistakes, then you've got a fighting chance to learn from. So hearing from someone like that, who I really respected, of like, well, he's been doing that too. You know, um, there were a lot of other companies that I've had exposure to that do that really well. But then I'll, I'll tell you the other thing that was funny about um, Jim McCann. So in the process of lining up the interview, um, like, you know, like sort of like you have, Adam, I normally have a pretty Loctite process of like, click here, self-schedule, it flows to my calendar, automated reminders go out. Like it was a pretty Loctite process. The mistake I made was I thought I was being considerate and I'll save him some time. So I'm like, okay, no, Jim, I'm not going to ask you to do that. We did a pre-call. Mm -hmm. I've learned it's a mistake not to do the pre-call. Um, different, different stories there. But I thought I was doing him a favor. I would set it up manually, save him some clicks. He's a busy guy. Um, well, then I was emailing his team and I'd sent them the wrong date. And then I got flustered and I made some other mistake. And then I started thinking, oh, no, like he's, they're going to think this guy's a flake. And I, I hope they don't back out. Um, so I, I, I told Jim that story like at the end of our episode. And I don't think he was aware of any of that. And he just kind of, he kind of shrugged and he looked at me. He's like, you know what? It doesn't really matter. It's fine. Like, and like he showed some grace or at least kind of talking me off the proverbial ledge of where yeah. I felt embarrassed. I, you know, was probably, that's probably a case where I was being harder on myself than the whole situation even merited. So to get that kind of pat on the back from him and then to get an endorsement from him for the book, um, that's, yeah, that's one, I guess, example or guest or story that was kind of gratifying in a number of ways. You know, and you bring up something else I think is really interesting, which is oftentimes, you know, we make a mistake or where we believe we've made a mistake and we're convinced that the other party caught us and, you know, is making their own belief systems about us because of this mistake. But, you know, it's a perception thing where, you know, much like what you're just describing, like it sounded like, you know, Jim wasn't even really aware that you had made a mistake, but like from your perspective, like you had already kind of built this narrative that, oh, well, he, <laughs> he knows that I completely dropped the ball. He's going to think I'm this flake. Like, well, yeah, I guess maybe comment a, a little bit of, on that perception of like sometimes what we think in our own heads isn't what, you know, other people are, are going to think as well. I was I was making an assumption and a lot of the stories on the podcast or even through my own uh, work, um, a lot of mistakes are born from a turns out to be a bad assumption. Right. You know, mm -hmm. we we make a decision or we take action based on something we think is true, but yep. then turns out, you know, not to be true. So I think there's a healthy entrepreneurship habit, if not personal habit of trying to be like pretty, pretty solid. Like if I say something out loud that sounds like a fact to step back and question and say, like, do I really know that or am I making an assumption? Now, an assumption doesn't mean I'm wrong. But if we recognize there's an assumption, there's a risk I could be not completely correct, like then, then you're driven um, to go test the assumption. Like I would rather make a mistake on a small scale, learn, replace that assumption with information, and then be able to succeed, right? So I could have checked earlier instead of kind of fretting about it with Jim's people. I, mean, I did apologize, but like, I don't know how I could have checked that assumption. I probably should have put that out of my head. but. There's all kinds of assumptions that we make in the course of uh, doing business that sometimes we just need to stop and check them. 
Yeah, certainly. All right. Well, as we kind of come to a close here today, I want to ask a couple more questions. Number one is, you know, for people that are listening here today that are, you know, putting their concept of their podcast together um, and getting ready to launch, like what would be some advice that you would give to that person that that will help them as as they get started in their own podcasting journey? Yeah, um, I think, you know, there's there, there's maybe back to that point around thinking okay, what, what assumptions am I making? And, and to think of what's the purpose for doing a podcast? Um, if, if, the, if there's an assumption of, well, I'm in some professional setting or in a business, I'm gonna do a podcast and it's gonna drive leads and generate business. Okay, well, that's an assumption that maybe at some point you can only just go and, and, and test and see. And you know, the beauty of podcasting is that it's very low cost, low risk, you know, to go and, and test an idea. Um, and then if you're not getting the results that you had predicted, if you f find out some assumption was not completely true, you, you can adjust, you can, you can pivot. You know, so there's, there's this balance. So I think like with any startup idea, like you can go and try to ask people, you can try to get input. What do you think of the idea? How do you think this would play out? Is this appealing or not? Would you listen or not? Would you pay for this podcast if that's what someone's trying to do or not? you may get conflicting opinions, right? So then at some point, I think like as, as a creator, whether it's you know, as a podcaster or as a book author, like at some point it's your name on it. You, you're, you gotta be the decider, you know, if, if you will. But um, again, like, you know, podcasting, I think it's just such, gives such opportunities to iterate. And there's a lot of people who have relaunched a podcast season two with a slightly different focus. Or you know, sometimes mm -hmm. people relaunch under a different name. Or there's all kinds of things we could try to iterate on um, to reach our goal, whether that's building a larger audience or um, attracting certain guests who we're looking to meet and network with. So, I mean, I think as, as you were saying in some of the introductory remarks, Adam, like, please, you know, I, I would encourage people, please don't have this, you know, kind of perfection paralysis. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm, uh, I'm afraid to launch because something's not perfect. You know what? Yeah, it's not perfect. <laughs> I cringe when I go back and listen to some of the stuff I did in 2006 and in the early days, both technically and as an interviewer. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can try to test ideas, but then at some point, all you can do is really test it for real out in the market by, by launching, asking for feedback and, uh, and adjusting. Okay. Um, all right. Well, final two questions um, on the theme of discoveries. The first is just about podcasting and the podcasting, mm -hmm. you know, landscape as it evolves over time. Like what what are some discoveries that you've mm -hmm. made that you've noticed just about podcasting and the fact that you've been doing it for a while now? I mean, you can compare between your 2006 days to now, like. Very what are some of those discoveries that that you could point to that you've noticed just about podcasting between then mm -hmm. and now? I mean, I think there's a couple things like for one, and as an avid podcast listener, it's so much easier to listen to podcasts now, like compared to downloading an MP3 a file, putting it on my dedicated little tiny MP3 player. And like, you know, the guidance back in the day was like, episode episode shouldn't be any longer than the typical commute, which is like 20 or 25 minutes. Because it was a real pain in the butt. If someone ever hit stop podcast, the chances of them ever picking up and resuming were probably pretty slim. 
But now I think like with smartphones and, and modern podcast apps and, you know, the ability to either stream episodes or they're all, you know, you, you open the app and it says, hey, here's where you left off. Like I, there's room for longer form interviews. So I don't know if I'm making a mistake, but my episodes have kind of crept from like 25 minutes to 45 or mm -hmm. 50. You know, um, I, I don't know if uh, I mean, that's a discovery. I don't know if everyone would um, agree with that. And then I think as recording technologies have changed, like I used to do it through Skype and for a lot of reasons, it was audio only. I didn't even, I was, it wasn't even a matter of not publishing video. I wasn't even seeing my guest. Mm. But now in recent years with platforms like you're using and Zoom and other ways that people can record, um, like for one, it's more natural to be on video. We're doing video meetings all the time. Yeah. And here's the thing I still, I'm discovering, I don't know, like, to me, I, I feel like sometimes doing the video version of the podcast may detract from the audio version. And I'll give you like two reasons why. So like, yeah. we're, we have a video connection right now, and I'm not picking on you, but I, I do the same thing. Like, for those who are just listening, I'm talking and Adam's giving me great body language. He's he's nodding his head. That, of course, doesn't come through in the audio. Or, um, you know, there's times where um, somebody might say something funny and I give like kind of a hearty smile or I, I lean back and now the noise cancellation has eliminated my laughter from the mm -hmm. recording. I've seen that happen before. Um, part of me wonders, and maybe I just experiment with this. If I were to do a month of podcasting, I'm saying, no, we're going to leave the video off because there's far more people listening than there are watching on YouTube and to force everything to be a, a purely audio interaction. I don't, I don't, I don't know. It's that's a, a really interesting, a no, it's a really, Sorry. it's a really interesting <laughs> point that you're making. I mean, a discovery or just kind of like a, um, you know, something that you became curious about. And I, I'm curious about it now that you bring it up myself, which is, you know, <laughs> yeah. what do we lose when we record in an audio only environment versus a video environment? I mean, I, we were speaking before we hit record today about baseball. We're, you know, we're both kind of some baseball fans and, you know, what the radio broadcasters do is much different than the TV broadcasters because the radio broadcasters <laughs> have to fill in a lot more emotion and analysis about the game than, you know, a TV broadcaster um, will do. And I think that kind of highlights some of what you're talking about, which is, you know, what are we by by sharing, you know, the video feed here as we are having the conversation? I think it's something that I became curious about just as you brought it up is is there something that I'm losing? Like, how does it actually change the conversation just given the format of how we're recording? So I know there's no there's, real answer on that, but it's it's a curiosity thing, really. There, yeah, I mean, there's good and bad to it. Like, I mean, there's a lot of advantages. I think you can connect with people um, by having the video, even if I wasn't publishing the video anywhere. We can, we can gesture, we can do things to, like, especially if there's more than two people involved in the podcast, but... I don't know. There used to be kind of a certain intimacy where, you know, I'd have the microphone in the stand and I'd just be, you know, kind of leaning in, leaning into the microphone. I don't know if that makes a difference or I don't know. It's just that scene of like, you know, I'm I'm I'm, I'm listening and, you know, maybe more intently. I don't know. And it's just it's it's different. Um, it's more of a pondering than a discovery. So. Right. Yeah. Um, all right. Final question again on the theme of discovery, more kind of like personal in nature. You know, as as a podcaster and just you've been doing this a while, are there discoveries that you've made about yourself personally that perhaps you weren't aware of, you know, as you 
first started into podcasting? Mm. I think it's partly a discovery and partly uh, feedback from from people or or maybe this is just something it's hard to remember sometimes you know i've been doing this for for 17 years really regularly i think i'm i mean i get feedback that i'm a good interviewer or that i ask you know good questions or if someone's doing a podcast tour the questions i'm asking aren't the same five questions they're getting from everyone else and and i think some of that then has carryover effect into my professional life. I think that's a really good skill of being able to ask questions, to connect dots between different things that have been said, to come back to something that was said 20 minutes ago, and let's let's revisit that and dig deeper. I think that helps me sometimes as a, a coach and a consultant. So it's more of, I think, well, that's a, it's a benefit. I guess it's also um, a discovery. I don't think I would have anticipated at the beginning that that would be a benefit of doing podcasting, of of asking a question and then sometimes learning to step back and, and really let someone listen. I think that's helpful, not just as an interviewer, but again, like in the workplace. Yeah, totally agree with that. Well, Mark, this has been great to get to know you. I'm super excited to pick up a copy of your book and to check that out. So thank Thanks. you so much for being a guest here today. Thanks, Adam. I appreciate it. Mark Rabin is an author, speaker, and consultant whose latest book, The Mistakes That Make Us, Cultivating a Culture of Learning and Innovation, is available now on Amazon. He's also the author of the award-winning book, Lean Hospitals, Improving Quality, Patient Safety, and Employee Engagement, and others, including Measures of Success, React Less, Lead Better, Improve More. He serves as a consultant through his company, Constancy Inc., and is also a senior advisor for the technology company, KaiNexus. Mark hosts podcasts, including Lean Blog Interviews and My Favorite Mistake. You can find out more about Mark in our episode show notes. Are you stuck trying to take your podcast to the next level? Do you need help with marketing or post-production? At EIQ Media Group, we offer podcast coaching, production, editing, and marketing support. Head on over to www.eiqmediallc.com to learn more. If you're enjoying Beyond the Microphone, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening as well as to our YouTube channel. You can find links to all of these in our episode show notes. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next time on Beyond the Microphone. Beyond the Microphone is produced and distributed by EIQ Media Group, LLC. Elevate your emotional IQ with podcasts and content focused on entrepreneurship, overcoming adversity, stories of emotional courage, women's health, aging, and more.